0: I'm Maura Nguyen I'm the director of an MFA program in dance at Hunter College, which is part of the City University of New York. I'm a choreographer, installation artist, a writer, a producer, curator. I'm a maker and a faker and a mother and a fucker.
1: Welcome to The Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over. Why do you have the need to say that you are a fucker in your <laughs> title? I want to play with um, that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it it's partly it's about the fact that I I I think I've come to understand I'm a troublemaker. I think that's actually my job. I I I you know, in academic speak, I sometimes call it like it's the intervention. Right, we're here to intervene in the systems of higher ed or whatever, all the oppressive systems around us. And so it's kind of like um a faster way of saying I'm a troublemaker it was also kind of rhyming with make faker motherfucker um but it is also uh because I think sometimes I I think I've had this experience and when, when thinking about this conversation I feel like once I became mom once I was like assigned momhood then I like lost some of like like my, my fuckery and I was kind of like y'all I'm I'm still fucking th- some shit up pretty bad mm-hmm. so you know there's kind of this like Benevolence that gets assigned to momdom, that I was like,
1: Yeah, and you lose the mischief, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: so uh, your sister was on the show recently. Um, and you know, I'm like, The show's not about your sister, but we have to bring this uh, this uh, this issue in, and I need to know. <laughs> um, so Erin uh, Tran Donahue. Uh, she's the writer of uh, A Tourist Guide to Love and she was just recently on the show and you know somebody else introduced me. Um, Dawn, a good friend of mine, introduced me to you. A clear across, like has nothing to do with each other and you know, I was like wait um, I just met Mara at the Premiere, but why is Mara's last name Mar- Mara Wynn Donahue? So it really threw me for a curve, and I was like, "Wait, are these the same people?" So I had to check with uh, Dawn. But here we go. Shout out to Dawn as well. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Big so like, shout out to her. Yeah, um, I actually still still haven't asked her what what like what popped into her head. Cause we haven't, I haven't seen her in a while. And so I, I reached out and I was like, once I get out of my semester, I was like, we got to catch up. Cause there's so much. And I was listening to her, her uh, podcast with you. Her, and that was, there's so much I want to talk to her about her, her new work. Um, so, well, in, in the whole like biomythography of my life, um, there was this moment I'm 21 years old and a family secrets revealed and i realized i like i grew up click, checking the other box and always writing in vietnamese irish like this was this was my identity like i identified myself that way as a child and then um and then i started i graduated from college and i was starting to make my own work and i was making a solo show i was making a one-woman show about my family history and, and uh i was like I need, I need, I need to represent Cause everybody, my whole life, everybody's been like Maura Dunahill. Like you don't look Irish. And the name, my mother's name on my birth certificate uh, is actually some dead girl's ID that she had bought in Saigon when she was, when she ran away from the family she was married off into and was hiding out on the streets of Saigon. So her I don't know whether this does anything like her marriage certificate, my birth certificate, her identity is, is, is a false identity.
1: So wait, you took on the Wynn last name, but did you know? I,
0: that? No, I didn't. So I didn't know it took a, it took a while for all this to come down. So I was like, this is my mother's name. I'm going to take my mom's family name. And so I started using Win and, she didn't say anything about that in fact no one said well who else was going to say anything she didn't say anything i went back to vietnam with her in 96 97 and by then like i've been making shows i have my own dance company we've been on tour across the u.s we've been to you know like we've been to europe and and now I'm starting to t- try to talk to artists in Vietnam and, and I, I'm meeting artists in Vietnam and I'm like showing them my materials and this is my professional name now. And then we go to visit family and my cousins are like, yo, what's up with that? Why is she using that name? Like why? they asked my mom, why is she using that name? That's not our name. And I was like, what do you mean? That's not the family name. And by then it's the name I'm like, it's it's the name that's like out there.
1: And you can't go back to change
0: i mean it's not like legal but i just was like huh well i actually think that's kind of an interesting story too because that's part of this complexity of identity um so then 20 like 25 years later Irene's like becoming vietnamese no offense Irene.
1: (laughs) born again moment
0: yeah and uh and so she's like I'm going to use the family name. And then there's this other conversation, you know, where she's like, I don't even know how that's pronounced. And like, you know, like having this whole, trying to do this on a group chat. Um, But yeah, so it's kind of this, this funky thing that's just out there now where the two of us are like part of weird legacies where I, I feel like one of the things that happened in our family story, which is so many family stories is, is related to, documents and documentation and, and and who gets to tell the story um and so there it is in my name right there how how like complicated and um like the 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 missteps in in the in the stories i mean this goes back to like my origin story right of growing up being born in saigon um and Being raised in 1970, right? So it's I'm I get to the U.S. My mom and I come with my dad, and we fly on a plane to the U.S. in 19 before 1970 is out. So we're here, April 30th, 1975. You know, I don't. I'm just a kid. I don't know the backstory, and and Irene talks about this and it's she doesn't even exist yet at this point in the story <laughs> yeah. sorry I'm coming in with a lot of like gee I'm like I'm like the big sister energy and I was like okay but anyway I I'm so proud of her but in that moment right um like I, I know a little bit like I know that no one would rent to my parents in the U.S. like my parents couldn't get an apartment when they first got here as soon as anybody found out that my dad who was Irish American naval officer who stayed on and, after his time was up as a civilian advisor. Um, you know, once they found out he had a Vietnamese wife and a Vietnamese kid, they couldn't, they couldn't, no one would rent to them. You know, so this is like one of these narratives that um was in, you know, had found its way into my work. And just thinking it's like on a postcard for the Asian American arts initiative in Philly, you know, this thing about like war lived in the people that wouldn't rent to my parents, it lived in the slurs of the kids, you know, and it lived in these secrets. So, like, 75 hits and four, even talks about this, four Vietnamese boys, um, teenagers show up. And I'm five years old. Um, I got three, no, do I have four? I have four little siblings by now. Like, my mom's, you know, I think there's this image of these four little, like, half Vietnamese kids and, like, a baby in my mom's arm and then these teenage boys. So, they're cousins of cousins. They all live in, in the downstairs bedroom and they go to the high school in suburban new england in 1975 i mean that that that's a that's like a whole thing and and i i don't stay enough in touch with them to like like to know and mom sort of has some you know And they went off and they graduated and they they did well i mean and these were like these they got out early I think they got out before like April 30th and, and they, you know, they were, they, but they had like money sewn into clothes. They came with like a fa- like a lot of money and stuff, you know, so they came from like an affluent family. Um, And they, you know, I, we got them through that. We, I, my parents got them through that and got them like off into college and stuff like that. So five years later, another, another boy shows up and, you know, I remember cleaning out my dad's study and his arrival And uh, so it's like, okay, we got another cousin. This is just how this rolls, right? I'm 10 now. That doesn't go well. He's like hitting us, you know, because we're spratty kids. And like my mom's developing like a heart arrhythmia. He moves out. He lives with a high school friend. Then he joins the Navy, becomes a Naval electrician. And it's 11 years later. I'm 21 years old. I've graduated from college. And I'm in an argument with my mom where she's saying I should be respectful to my parents. Um, and I, my dad's like excommunicating me like a proper Irish Catholic from the family because I am because I am like a little fucker. And, and she's like, you have to do, you should do what your parents say. I had to do what my parents say, said I had to get married when I was younger and I had a baby. And this is on the phone. I'm living in Seattle, Washington. And I was like, what,
1: what? So then I this is like the Joy Luck Club time. But do you think do you think she let it out intentionally or was it just a fit of rage and the and it just squeezes out?
0: I I think um I think what I what I've come to understand later from like, you know, this kind of like Rashomon, like everybody has their version of the story. She was beginning uh Clinton was starting to normalize relations with Vietnam. She was beginning to consider like a return and there was this thing we were always told growing up, when you're old enough, we'll tell you our story. And so I was out of college. So I think it, I think that like the things com- came together, but she still didn't actually tell me who the kid was. It was my sister, Mava, who's a year younger than me, who called me and was like, do you know who the kid is? It's on. And I was like, <gasps> I mean, by this point in life, like I hated him. I hated that guy. I, you he know, was, he just there was like all this animosity and it's like he's like big brother, you know, and like
1: and but then was it wasn't like the other four guys, the other four teenagers at state?
0: They you know, I we were little kids then, so it didn't matter. And also they didn't I think they didn't deal with us. He knew he was our brother.
1: Wow. I didn't see he
0: knew that we didn't know. Wow. He was carrying that. Like that whole time.
1: And do you ever talk to him about this stuff? Oh, yeah. Well,
0: yeah, you know, it's like that thing where uh, he doesn't really want to get into it. I mean, so I I was like, I was living on the West Coast and he was down in, um, he was in Orange County. Was he in Westminster? I think he was in Westminster. And I was just like, I got to go see him. You know, I, I gotta, this is my brother. I gotta go see my brother. And so I went down and, and I also was like, you know, it was like this moment where I was like, Oh my God, because joy luck club was out at that moment. And I was like, I a joy luck club story. Like, Holy shit. I'm just like, I'm like every other Asian American, like the mom's got the secret and all this stuff. And, um, but I went, I went down, met up with him and his girlfriend at the time. Who's now his wife. And, and I was thinking like, okay, Uh, I'm now going to get like much more in touch with my Vietnamese-ness and my Vietnamese family. And like, we went to, we went to a steakhouse. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. Which was great. But like, he didn't want to, he, you know, he's, he's been surviving. He survived. I mean, his story his you know, like so many people's stories, but his story of, of escaping, being captured by the Khmer Rouge, being in a camp, being like, moments away from death having uh like oh fuck which NGO basically his life was traded for like like a was it a ton you know like he and a couple other people who were captives who were like they were gonna die any minute at the hands of the you know Cambodian communists and then it was like a ton of rice or something that was granted that allowed them to keep living you know I mean his like Jungle survival, escape, refugee camp, and then eventually getting to the US and then coming to the US. Like this took decades before some of this stuff come in. I just I just recorded some of that recently because we finally have like, you know, all of that stuff is sort of like repaired and and it's now kind of like cool. And he's got kids and he's got kids who are grown, like once married, you know, so it's like wow. times letting some of that come, but we've never really addressed all of the, like the sibling fighting or, or what it was like for him to keep those secrets. Um Cause I think he's just kind of like, I want to live my life and I want my life to be good. And I don't need to talk about, like, I don't need to be sad about stuff. Right. I feel like that's kind of like his,
1: you, you know, we, you and I live in sort of this privilege of, um, the desire of wanting to dig into different stories and it shows up in your work and it shows up in the first few minutes of our dialogue right now you studied anthropology and dance uh, i was also an anthropology major that's right and uh we i feel this kinship about these past stories and the importance of talking about it because that really reflects who we are and the journeys that we take along the way of our life. And the privilege of examining these long-winded stories really lay a a real firm foundation for who we become. And I wanted to ask you, um, and it's what a beautiful story with your brother and your family, and thanks for sharing that. And why did you study anthro and dance double major and what inspired you? Why did you have to do both these things?
0: Yeah, why did I? I mean, I, and I'll have to ask you that too because I was listening to your interview with um, Nam Kim, yes, recently too, and was just like, "Oh my god, I, you know, um, give me more." Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, okay. On a basic level, uh, I, I went. I'm at Smith College, and. And we get a lot of aid, but that's at even then, that's not a cheap school, right? So I'm not gonna waste a college degree dancing, uh, with like, sorry, everyone in dance. I know. Like I embodied knowledge is very important, but that was basically the thinking was like at the it, time the big deal for our family. Like you can't you um and I don't, you know, honestly, I thought it was gonna be like a classics, like I thought I because I my dad made made us all study Latin in high school um and and that now I understand is why I get really excited about etymologies right I'm really interested in like the root of a word and how that becomes the root of an idea and I think and I think I was gonna yeah I thought classics because like oh maybe I'll go to Italy my junior year and I think oh you know what it was I met Frederick Marglin I met an anthropology professor who um had studied classical Indian dance but was an anthropologist and taught classes that were really deconstructing the traditions of anthropology. You know, my whole I was like, I don't know anthropology. All I know how to do is deconstruct like the white male <laughs> like, you know, perspectives. That's all I learned. But I think I took class with her and then it just kept unfolding into these like systems of knowledge and 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 really like examining the the concept of like who who tells the, you know, who tells the story of humanity. Um, So it just, it just kind of kept happening. I would say like, I mean, if it wasn't for dance, my, you know, if it wasn't for dance, my GPA would have been a lot worse. I don't think I was a great anthropology student at the time, but it taught me a lot about writing. Right. And it taught me a lot about like conversation and, and and sort of critical thinking. So I feel like, yeah, I've often said, that it, it feeds my work and it feeds how I, how I, the way I think that dance matters in the world has so much to do with the fact that I was an anthropology major as an undergrad, because I see it as relevant to humanity and not as like a practice that happens for, for like segregated elite populations of extreme athletes. Um, So I think it, it has a, a lot to do with that. And I, my own work, I would often say, I'm just like, it's field work, right? My field work is actually autobiographical excavation um, and family stories or doing that in community with the, the dancers that I'm working with or the collaborators that I'm working with. It's like we're always kind of like digging inside of our own um, family histories to to excavate this, you know, this thing that will hopefully allow others to recognize our shared humanity right and that's inside of like a lot of the sort of the representation work or is just trying to make sure that we get to be seen as fully human Um, because I didn't grow up feeling like I saw representations of my family myself or my family as like having the same value like our human lives were not as valuable Um, they were very disposable and so that's found its way through a lot of my work so yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm a bad anthropologist, but I'm a good cultural studies person.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, wow, that's interesting you feel that way, uh, bad anthropologist. Because I feel like um, when I think about your work, it's one can't exist without the other now that I think about it, uh, reading all the work that you've done. And being at, at Smith, which is, a, I mean, we can get into that for like hours, you know, right? Um I didn't even realize Smith would have a dance department. That's how ignorant, you know, because Smith is known for really powerhouse women coming out of Smith. Uh, You know, I have, um, I know some board members at Smith um, for 30 years, you know, um, because one woman was married to my mentor uh, out of high school and uh, she's uh, been a board member and she's uh, Lois uh, Thompson uh, out here in L.A., and she has two other friends that. So over the years, I've I've met uh, several of them and have invited them to several events for um, Fulbright University of Vietnam, and um, I know that these ladies don't fuck around. So when, when I think about uh, dance, I, I didn't I would never put that association. But now that I think about all of it and putting anthropology and dance together, coming out of Smith, that's that's some heavy, some some heavy work. So yeah,
0: yeah. I mean. Nobody else was really majoring in dance either right. at the time. You know, that was the thing. And so I got a lot of special attention too, but there was no way. Yeah. You could just do that. And what a of weight if you yeah. go into a school like that.
1: And what got you into dancing? Why, why would it be so important that you would major in it?
0: Yeah, I actually, cause I was like, I'm not majoring in dance. That's not why I'm going to this school or any of the schools I was looking at. Um, that's not what college is for. But I couldn't not do it. I, and I'm, I have this, you know, part of my, my epic narrative is I always wanted to. Um, I can't remember not wanting to. And my father told me I needed to wait until I was eight for, for certain biological development, um, which I was like, that kind of then messed me up to not be a ballerina. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you that I didn't. Thank you that I did not have the right body. Um, I just, I loved it. and. There was, um, there's this uh, Native American prima ballerina named Maria Tallchief and she worked with George Balanchine and she was famous and it was like this thing. And I was like, when I grow up, I will be the Vietnamese American version of Maria Tallchief. Like I thought I could do that when I was little. Um, And, and, but really at the end of the day, this is, I was like, I'm not like, I, I am a dancer, but I, I, didn't become that sort of that classical a dancer because always actually at my heart. And this is like the, the like big sibling energy. um, I wanted to make stuff. I wanted to make dances. So I, Irene, I don't know how much she remembers of this, but I used to make Irene, my little like Irene and Eileen, these two little sisters um, dance in the living room. And like I'd put on shows and I'd choreograph to like Michael Jackson or Duran Duran (laughs) And like, they would have to do the dances that I made. <laughs> so there's always just been really, like, my desire to make things, right, to 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 make things with dance or to write a play. But I have tried many times to, to leave dance behind. Um, and, um, you know, I just can't quit it. There's some things that are, they're like these callings. And, um, yeah, like, I've several times just tried to sort of test that out in my life and and say okay now it's time to do this like you can do something else and um it just it's just like there's just an energy in there that need it needs it needs to work itself out of my system um and and dance was the way it's just a profoundly expressive you know we could argue sometimes uh, dance people and music people might argue about what really is the first form. Right. Cause I, cause it can be the voice too. Like singers, singers really tap into like something in themselves too. Right. So it's like singers and dancers. We're the ones who are like the first, first place of like, ex- expressing right. Either through the voice or through moving the body. And I actually think dance comes first as a mom, because when I was pregnant, uh, we were, I don't, I think we were in Japan with the first Sasa, my oldest. Um Is that big enough? Yeah. And seeing, seeing a movie, and there's like Taiko drums playing, and like really loud drums. You, the loud drum would make it through, and the and the baby would kick, would like hear the sound and would kick. Right. So before that human could even cry, they could move and kick. Right. And so I'm like it's the original source of our like being this is to is to like move yeah so i don't know that's i guess that's that's what i'll say about like why it just has to, for me it's just like it's inescapable
1: so when i when i look at different forms of dance and this is a kind of a complicated question because i don't want to sound like i am judging a dancer for the quality of the dance but i want to ask though from a an instructor from a creator's point of view like yourself a theoretician when i look at dance performances i can only really witness basics of body movement body control alongside rhythmic uh, musical movement but what else should we be watching for to know if the dance performer truly knows what's going on or if their quality like how do we and simply, simply put, how do we know if the person is a high-quality dancer? And we could see it on Janet Jackson, or we could see it in Michael Jackson's videos. We could see the 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 performance being very um, succinct, and we see them being very like in control. But when we're looking at more like experimental forms or more abstract, how do we know when the dancer is really connected to the music of the performance
0: wow i love this question um this is this is so interesting because this is this is like well part of what we would have to do is actually we'd have to um define our research (laughs) like the research um platform because there's so many forms of dance, right? So, I mean, if we're talking specifically about like a, a like a concert dancer on a stage in front of a live audience, um, you know, in the 21st century, then I'll, so I'll like bring it down to that. And it's not just, a, you know, because part of the, the sort of anthropological importance of dance is actually all the ways that dance matters in, you know, rites of passage and in just like people's own various practices of of you know um worship of grieving, you know and also just like ecstatic release and celebration and it's an um, it's actually really important sometimes in like defining like there's it's, there was like this study around defining a mate like finding a mate and people's like rhythmic abilities are really important like like rhythm is a part of our like practices and so all of that like I'm just gonna put all of that like this whole other conversation about dance. But like when I'm watching a dancer like performing for me on in a concert, um, I I think you can tell when you can like when you trust something that's happening in your body, if you can feel somebody's connection to the work that they're doing, like if your body is having a like mirror neuron response or we would call it. kinesthetic empathy but it's kind of like the same thing as mirror neuron sometimes um or kinesthesia no not kinesthesia anyway maybe this kinesthesia like this thing where like that moving body and and, and my body are like having a like a, a frequency vibration that's actually like in harmony you can kind of then know right like you can know for you now somebody else would be like they didn't do this this or this um and That's not like fair, but lots of dancers can get their legs up over their head, right? Like not everybody can. And I still like, I'm supposed to be so beyond that. I'm still like cool when I see a dancer get their leg up over their head. That's cool. That's extreme. That's like, that's extreme sport. You know, like I'm down for elite athletes, right? Um, Or like massive endurance, right? This incredible stamina to like do these this like a lot of dance is more like sprinting than than marathon but more artists do like durational stuff but it's often like large bursts of movement and then you go into the wings and then like you once upon a time I used to hear this about the Alvin Ailey company they would like name a piece they would call they would describe a piece by how many puke buckets needed to be in the wings wow. because you've been dancing so hard and when you go off and then you puke and then you'd like go back on and you know which I was like wow that's cool um I mean, I, I never even, i would say uh, like your body's gonna tell you you know so, in a way that's all, I, I would say that's even more important than whether the experts would agree
1: yeah because i i can imagine as a as a professor in dance you have to grade p- other people and i can't imagine grading somebody and not being moved by it and then having to tell them well you know what um i wasn't moved by your performance but Maybe that that person gave it their all. So how do yeah. you even give it sort of like a a grade, right? Right.
0: That that that's a you're talking about. You're, this is a this is a big old bitch in academia. I mean, in general, like it's assessment, right? And it's actually part of why the over over time, I think for us, if we're really at Hunter College, we're we're really striving to be a really a truly student centered space, and we are the people's program, as I like to call it. Like it's a public dance program in New York City so these you you get people from all five boroughs most of our undergrad students um a majority of students that come to Hunter are first generation they're the first person in the family to go to college um and if they are studying dance I'm often like y'all if you're studying dance you're making the most fiscally irresponsible choice you could make so I'm here for you because I'm pretty sure your parents probably many of your parents don't want to do this or like you're sneaking off in a television um but you clearly you must love it you have to love it because this is not this is not this is not a big payoff career path um and so trying to really understand each student's goals and observe change right so so we do things where we're like it's open enrollment um to arrive but then we do placements of level for people's safety too, right? Like, okay, you can be in level two or level three because clearly you have like the physical capacity and you've been trained prior to this. Or maybe you need to be in fundamentals because you don't know the difference between your left foot and your right foot. (laughs) Like literally, truly. You know, and so so even at those places, you're really trying to see like how much change has happened over time. Um, And that can be hard, but that means you have to be paying really close attention because everybody's coming in at a different level because we don't, we don't have auditions that make sure that everybody's arriving and somebody who's like a really fly house dancer or a hip hop dancer, um, has skills around rhythm and like weight dropping and presence and swag that like a ballet dancer needs not, doesn't need to have. Mm. So then, you have to like really speak the languages of the form, right? This other other forms are very vertical and need you to actually like be really light and like rising this way and have all of these like established crit- other criteria. And so, you you have to be paying attention to to the to the forms that you're in because it's not. I, I I've got colleagues who are going to disagree with me, but it's not. There's not like one way of of moving a body. Um, so, yeah, for me, like what, what, like what gets me excited? Um, I, I am, I really do like, because um, there's plenty of people who are like great technicians, right? They can hit every, everything and they can do every trick. I, I am, a, I love abandon. I love I'm scared. I love the dancer who pushes, who's always willing, who's going to take it to the edge of a place for me. Like that's a personal thing that I get really excited about, but that's not really, that's a little harder to get out, out of a college program. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I love so many different styles of dance and there's like a lot of dance that I, that I watch or that I've done. That's like really obscure And very, you know, it's meant for small spaces. And, you know, like a Japanese form like buto is weird. (laughs) It's weird looking. It's a form that, you know, it's said to have grown out of the ashes of Hiroshima. And so it's like, it's kind of like grotesque. And typically you see them painted in white. And, you know, it was a whole form that had a relationship to German expressionism. So like that stuff is it's like sitting there in a tight little space watching someone who's barely moved and the sweat is dripping off of them because they're actually involved in like something really intense and it's maybe internal and you mm-hmm. might not see it on this like grand you know um, acrobatic scale and i can be totally captivated by that too I'm, you- I'm down for the 1000 percent present you know yeah. Like, yeah
1: have you studied much vietnamese dance movements
0: I have not, you know, this, um, this is something I'm still, still pulling apart because so, um, in so back, uh, I was going back to Vietnam a lot between like 97 and I think it was like 2005. Um, and I was doing projects with artists there and, the artists who were making work in Vietnam that they're contemporary artists primarily. And so and this is a whole other thing about like the, the our history, right is like who who got the resources and who got to go study what and where. So the northern artists had had been trained like in classical ballet in Kiev. Um, and the younger art, like the southern artists, I, I met one who had managed to get to Japan to study, but otherwise they didn't have, they couldn't train elsewhere Um, or the Northern artists would maybe get to Australia or they would get to France. And so they had this kind of sophistication in their artistic practice, so to speak. Um, But there was this like dominance of ballet in general, which makes sense because like the Chinese and the Russians have used ballet as an important, you know, um, place for propaganda. So um, the artists that I was working with a lot weren't interested in traditional forms, and when 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 I brought so <laughs> when I brought Irene <laughs> to Vietnam <laughs> as my research assistant, <laughs> um, it, like in two thousand and one, um, so she came because I got married in Vietnam. And that's a whole other story but in 2000 but in 2001 um i had been um the rockefeller foundation was putting money into the mekong delta in all of their like areas and so they were giving some to the arts and i was working with an organization called dance theater workshop here in new york it's now called new york live arts and they were like, why don't you build some programming around Southeast Asia and Dance Theater Workshop, to their credit, Kathy Edwards, David R. White, Sarah Nash, they were like, we don't just do that. How about you fund us over several, like multi-years, and we're going to send some artists over, and the artists are going to tell us what they find, right? We're not going to present send presenters over to just, like, extract some stuff. Um. So there were several projects for many years, and... In 2001, I was on this like six-week research trip, and I got to bring an assistant, and so I brought my little sister, whose boyfriend had just broken up with her. <laughs> and 21 <laughs> years later, we have a tourist guide to love, and I just we're, wrote we're, to basically uh,
1: taking credit for the. uh I,
0: the- <laughs> I totally am. I was doing that. I was like, you know, Irene. Um, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> I know. I'm like, gee, it's just like two. I'm such like the big sister. No, but that's I a, actually
1: that's yeah, go how proud you are of what she's done. Because because you fitted it in a few times in this narrative. I love I it. am
0: so proud of it because also because I mean, I wasn't I wasn't really thinking about it that way. And then I was watching them. I was in tears watching that movie. The 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 um the scene. With the family and they're sitting on the floor and they're eating the meal i'm weeping out of gratitude for representation i'm just you know the footage i mean i've also watched it like a million times i just fast forward till they hit vietnam and then i'm just like i make my kids i'm like look at this look at this do you see this do you see this do you see this like they haven't been yet i and i haven't been back in a long time um but i also love it because i think i'm like here as like a lot like the long the long game kind of story too for like Vietnamese folks like I was I was like lost you know I really struggled with um trying to understand my own place in this in this country that I didn't think I belonged in um but I was growing up in and and trying to find kinship somewhere And then, and then was really involved, like kind of really enmeshed in, in the like Vietnamese performing arts community, dance community, and, and trying to connect to, to other folks um, here in the U S. And then, you know, I had two kids and the last time I was there, I was pregnant with my second child, who's about to graduate from high school. And so I felt like I lost my I lost my connection. Cause I couldn't get back. Couldn't travel. I had to go back at my MFA, get a full-time job, tenure track, you know, grind into like, like make the thing, um, and um, like serve other folks. And so like Irene's film, I was like, Irene, you're, I just messaged her. I don't know if she's heard it yet. I like sent her a voice memo. And I was like, I'm just thinking like, I brought you to Vietnam and now you're bringing me back. Mm, okay. And I love like, this, like that it, it's like a long game like it took decades it's like a cycle and I just think like that kind of like reciprocity and and like trusting that things come together is beautiful and that like you never know you never know what is gonna become like a thing and so writing to like the producer like the of that grant and just going should we write to Rockefeller and tell them like they <laughs> you know there's like a long development period for this piece but like it it's it seeded like her own relationship to, to the land to like let that happen when she was once ready for it again you know I don't know I just I just for me it feels I am I'm so I'm so proud of where she's like what she did with that you know and like i just how badly i needed to see um the narrative around vietnam that changed and this is like like ham you had ham and jenny you're right on like ham's doing that but like i'm, I'm an anti i don't like rom-coms <laughs> i like you know i like to yeah anyway like like make it gritty and hard and um and I've like I feel like I've been schooled in the importance of making work accessible. You know,
1: that's been yeah, really beautiful. absolutely and how beautiful these grants like the Rockefeller money has trickled down twenty something years later into such a beautiful journey for all of us. All of us, not just Irene, but it's all of us. You know, Irene just came over um to do a Q&A session with a very close group of friends in uh redondo beach hermosa beach um over the weekend and it was like 35 40 people and they loved the film and they loved just being and they treasured having Irene there to give a q a and i said um that this is a historic moment but this is a very uh, special point in time because in a few years from now Irene won't have a chance to you know, speak in front of just a small group of people to talk about her movie like this. This is a very uh, special. And now hearing and tracing back where she got the seed of the story from you and seeing how like your experience going to Vietnam for the first time, taking her and it all landing up in in a living room in Hermosa Beach, overlooking the water. It's just a beautiful journey of like the, you know, these seeds that, that are planted.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, it, that's, and it's, I mean, I keep thinking of you too, because I've just been like 200 and something. Episodes. <laughs> like how, how we, how we bring each other, like, right. You keep bring everybody with you kind of a thing. And mm-hmm. just what a living archive you are. This is like, this has been kind of like blowing my mind where I was like, Yo, this is a PhD right here. This is like, this is like dissertations mm-hmm. worth work. Of. Like, it's so much that you've been in dialogue with. And I just think that's so vital too. Like, these stories keep getting like bigger and deeper and, and wider. And it's just, it's been just beautiful seeing, like, listening to, like, li- like reconnecting with Dawn, who I met also like 20, 20- something years ago and with and ham like met both of them at the same time period club of noodles. And just thinking about there was this, there was this moment where, um, you know, club of noodles was this Vietnamese American theater company. I don't know how much you've encountered. Like, I don't know what their legacy is, but I'm touring my one woman show when you're old enough, which I make after I find out about my older brother in i make it in seattle then i end up in a berkeley repertory theater production of like a lawrence yet play so i'm like i go to atlanta then i then i move back to new york and then i'm touring this show and so i'm touring my solo show which pulls apart this kind of like family story and i'm sharing a program with club of noodles just like all these young vietnamese american people from california and i'm just like Whoa! And they're doing "Laughter's from the Children of War," and it's like, and I meet Ham for the first time, and they're so warm, and they're also like, "You're not Vietnamese," and you know, like, (laughs) you know, just in that way, they're just giving me shit. But then I'm I'm driving down to LA, and I'm you know hanging out with people and sleeping on their couches, like different places in Orange County, and just connecting with this community that grew and then we end up collaborating and choreographing their next show which was stories from a nail salon because um roberta uno who was directing new world theater which was based at the university of massachusetts in amherst it, new world theater was like a really important center for um works by artists of color and i had just also met um leite yim tui who's um like a solo artist and a writer. She wrote the gangster we're all looking for. I'd seen her work red fiery summer and was like, Oh my God, this is like a Vietnamese girl, but she's like, cool. And like my age and like went to school also in the five, went to Hampshire college in Western mass. So we're immediately, you know, I'm immediately like be my friend. And one of my, I think it was Mava, My other, one of my sisters, we're like, she's so cool. We start connecting. We end up collaborating Hong Nguyen, who was the director of Club of Noodles, came on as, like, dramaturg, and I was choreographer, and Thuy was building The Bodies Between Us, which is this piece about, like, being at sea with her father after fleeing Vietnam. And we're building this in Western Mass. And then Roberta presents all of us in, like, a season called Viet New, right? And so this is, like, 97. So there's this, like, little, like, moment of, like, this, you know, Vietnamese-American, like, art scene happening in Western Mass. Um, that, you know, then it, then we, we then I'm, like, touring California in, like, 2000 with the, the piece that I make, which is about, like, the, the biracial children of Vietnam, like, the Vietnamese biracial children and the Amerasian Homecoming Act of 87 and, like, this thing about how, like, I escaped a particular legacy, but I've always been aware that there was an assumption that I didn't know my dad. When I told people I was half Vietnamese. Right. There's just gonna be an assumption that like I like I lived on the streets, I didn't know my dad, that I and I was like, well, we're I have a different story, but I want to examine that story. Um so like there's like this 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 activity and then it it sort of dissipates and everybody get, kind of goes about their lives. And then like decades later, um Ham's premiering, like Ham screening Micah here, uh, you know, across from like uh, bryant park and i'm bringing my kids to see wow. micah and and then i'm meeting oh i can't remember her name the woman who moderates that is the head of the vietnamese heritage center here in new york
1: um, is it uh erin um, steinhauer no shoot no. I should think that's vietnam I... society out of dc
0: oh okay yeah Anyway, they're doing Vietnamese classes. So the next day I'm like in Vietnamese language lessons, you know, like it just, (laughs) just keeps, which I had tried, you know, I did that in Vietnam, like I did, you know, and then it's like 20 years and I don't, but there's just, I just want to, I just think it's so important to just stay open to the, to like the, the like way that cycles work And these communities can find each other again. And then Ham just took Irina out in Saigon and got her really smashed.
1: (laughs) Crazy. That's so, you know, full circle because, you know, clone Noodles, it's a real big legacy that's not really talked about often. Yeah. It's where a lot of the um, artists, performing artists come from, too, of of our generation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was – they were –
0: we went on a retreat together. I mean, I was like, yeah, it was, we were so close and tight. And that was such an important part of my, um, like my growing understanding that I wasn't alone because growing up in the, you know, in the East coast and stuff, you could just, you could feel really removed. And I always had to look to California um, to like, ident- to, like and literature and like, and then slowly found other artists, but I had to often look West for things around an Asian American identity and the Vietnamese identity and in the US. And um, because the nature of like the East Coast of New York City's like got like, doesn't have like many generations in the same way. And it it's so, you know, it's so international as a hub. So it, it has a really different kind of like flow through. Yeah.
1: You know, I want to make a transition uh, to talk a little bit about your father, um, if, if possible. Yeah. Yeah with uh, Parkinson's and potentially Agent Orange. Yeah. So when we think about the people on the ground in Vietnam, we often think about um the repercussions of Agent Orange uh in certain communities all over Vietnam where Agent Orange was uh you know uh dropped and but now we're talking about specifically your father who was a serviceman yeah. in the US um naval side and this is being um you know i've had a few people on who has been you know in lawsuits and so much has been swept under the rugs as these powerful organizations of chemical companies defend their 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 shit and they've you know they've made money and you know but your father is an american he's a white american part of the navy and there's a potential of him being um having parkinson's as a result of this agent orange and i wanted to hear your thoughts about you know somebody who's not vietnamese who it was in vietnam and who's experiencing this and as a child of your father and witnessing and going through this ordeal what are your, your thoughts on on you know because we don't ever we don't really hear the problems that are affecting Americans. Cause we only hear sort of like what's happening in Vietnam. Can you tell me a little bit about this, um, effect that, um, that, that your father's living through right now?
0: Yeah. Thank you for asking this. Really appreciate this. Um, because they, you know, because the, the legacy of that war, there's so many legacies of that war, right? The war with America, the civil war, um, and my family, being a centrally located one, has like is one of the many families that can talk about the Civil War reality, right? The like family members who were fighting on opposite sides, and then we add, you know, mom with dad and leaving, and and um, it's it's so big because I feel like what he's, well, let me see if I can remind this. So he also had prostate cancer, and so prostate cancer and Parkinson's have been tied to Agent Orange exposure. Um, And you're you're a you're a veteran too, yeah, I'm a right? former Marine, 90 yeah.
1: ninety-seven. Yep.
0: So I just got came back yesterday. I just ran home on Saturday to check to visit with mom and dad, and dad's in the vet in a veterans' home now. And, um. the when he when he first was diagnosed with prostate cancer like okay and then when when eventually you know at first he, he had this shake and then he was like it's not parkinson's and then a year later it was defined as parkinson's i actually wrote to him and i was like dad do you know and this is up until this time for most of our childhood um our father did not identify as a Vietnam vet. He refused to be identified with those people. Right? He was not a mess, but he was a mess. Like we had, it was a very volatile, challenging, you know, household. But he—he he was going to hold on to his Catholicism and his, you know, like he was—he was, he was going to keep it together. And he didn't identify with people who um, who were unpatriotic. You know, he just was like, I'm not. I, I'm not a, I don't have a problem. And he had a Vietnamese wife. So I think he just, it was like a really different kind of way of being. So he didn't, he didn't associate and he wasn't in touch with services for veterans. Right. He just didn't want to have anything to do with that. Then when he turned 60 and also got sober, he reconnected with members of the Academy and his like roommates and they came, you know, for his 60th birthday. Um, But So at that moment, as he's being diagnosed, I'm going, Dad, this is, you know, this is tied. Do you know, do you know, this is tied. They believe this is tied to Agent Orange exposure. This is actually a legacy of the war. And they owe you. Your government owes you. Um, And that, he, he heard it he started to like receive that. And that then opened the door to connecting to like veterans affairs and, and many different, like the, the resources that are now being um, given to him to help out, which have been substantial, but, you know, I know he would rather (laughs) have his like linguistic capacity, you know, and um and physical abilities, but in a way, I think he was a writer. He's a poet who went to war and wrote an epic poem. Like you know, spent all of his military savings writing an epic poem for the first couple of years. Like it, my sister Mava's birth certificate, his occupation literally says poet. Oh. I mean, who's actually getting paid? But so that's a that's the person that I also grew up with. So he, the loss of language, I think, in particular, was was like the most painful thing over the last decade or so was like speaking language acquisition, like remembering a word, being able to speak it. You know, he was an adamant crossword um, person. And so in some ways that might've been much, the harder loss for him than the motor control, but it's, it's substantial. And it's, he now has dementia. He has Parkinson's related dementia. So it's a really specific kind of dementia. And when that hits, I mean, and he has to be kept, like we keep, we, we like really take care of him. We're telling everybody at the, like people, my mom is an amazing caregiver. She is like, a rock star caregiver she might even be an invasive caregiver <laughs> you know like i'm working that's what i would i'm working on that myself like it's too helpful um but we're like if he doesn't have somebody kind of like making sure that things are like chill he will go into a paranoid delusion which is part of parkinson's dementia he will go into a massive authority like he will and he's military so what the scenario is about power and authority over him. And it's scary. I call it the Hulk. He turns into the Hulk. It's, you know, when you put the military with the paranoid delusion and one's inability to express and move, it's, 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 it's terrible. It's just, it's terrible. And we, and I, I do want to remain grateful that we have resources because I keep thinking of families that don't have somebody like my sister Mava, who is like we call her paperwork bear like Erin's baby bear and she's paperwork bear and my dad's papa bear like we don't she's really good at navigating the bureaucracy of federal <laughs> systems of support but um it's like and you know i i've been thinking about how i wish i could talk to my could could pull apart the moment on my mom's side where and like you've mentioned that you've you've got a legacy like this in your family where um you know her father and her uncles are being murdered and i wish i could ask the her older siblings her older brother and her older sister what they remember because she's a toddler right and so I'm curious what they might remember about that moment in our family legacy because it's now it's, but they both died early and my younger, my mother's younger brother's wife also died early, you know? So it's like, I get it. Like the, the toxic dump uh in onto all peoples without regard for any people is like a prof- like profound war crime right it's
1: just yeah the reason i asked this question um i always have these weird reasons for asking these questions but one thing i on the day after april 30 1975 we commemorate this in orange county we have today right here we are it's may 1st now May first and we have to dismantle these stories of the right side and the wrong side, I really, it just really gets to me when we go in so hard, and I don't mean we as our generation, but our parents' generation, We they go in so hard about like, they're such a hardline approach about which way, which story, which narrative that they have to be married to. We need to just open it up and and say, okay, first of all, war, no matter what, in my opinion, is just wrong. The number two thing is, we have to be able to understand that if there's an American who's suffering from Asian orange, or there's a villager in Vietnam suffering Asian, this is all a result of just this is greed happening. And, you know, for us to keep being so hardline, married to one uh, ideology, it, it really polarizes people in little saigon here in america and little saigon's across the the country and we can't reconnect back to our motherland there's so many things that are blocking our um our people all across the world to just become the best versions of the vietnamese that we possibly can and so i just want to dismantle it all the time be like yo there's like american servicemen who are like suffering from prostate suffering from parkinson all of these things as a result of their government there's no government that is right entirely and wrong entirely we just need to start dismantling all of this legacy of like the right and the wrong or the truth and the not and the liars it just nuances are important discussion is important and that's why i asked you about your father
0: thank you for that i so i so and, and the work that you're trying to do for that feels so important because it's still, because I mean, and I was, you know, what's helpful for me is like, I was right when I was first back in Vietnam and I was like trying to write my way through understanding it. And I'm really grateful that I had like some kind of a writing practice and anybody cared and it's hard it is to read, but, you know, and, and I, and I, I, I like put I stepped in it a lot. Right. I was like 20 something. And I'm just, I'm reckoning with like all of these legacies and and never arriving, never arriving, but, you know, noticing disparity, but also and being really wary of like erasure, but also noticing like, yeah, just factionalism and, and just being like, I just, I'm just, I've always been proud. Like it's always been a point of pride for me that I was Vietnamese and I, and I don't know why. I think it's just because I was always like, well, I'm not, fr- I was born there. So that's my, that's my, that's my mother country. And, um, and, you know, couldn't quite verbalize that. But I, I'm like with that thing where I was like, we just like, we're dope as fuck. You know, like, why are we fighting with each other about which version of this is the version that yeah. is the supposed to be version and i'm sometimes like maybe that's because i'm kind of an outsider or maybe that's like my privilege but um yeah yeah i mean i <laughs> i was like think about this too this is kind of goofy i wore an ally to my as my senior prom dress in wow. 1988 in providence rhode island you know like i knew i don't know i we had to go to boston to get it made and it was like this is the kind of thing where i was like my date was like some like twenty five year old guy from the theater company. Like it was like I was like fuck my town, <laughs> fuck all y'all, you know. And I was like this is me, right? I know that you all like you you know all the stuff like growing up and being like I've been told I speak good English or I've been told to go back to my own country and I've been told to get back on that boat and I've been called every slur. And I was like, I don't, I am, I don't care. It's like, and I feel like maybe it's because I had to. Yeah. Like I needed it so badly because I didn't have like a homogenous, like I did have a homogenous experience that I was not welcome into exactly, that maybe I feel like I just want us all to be proud of like how amazing Vietnamese culture and our, like our legacy of resistance is deep for me and it hurts that we fight with each other. I agree.
1: Yeah. But And it's also strange that the more I uh, study the Vietnamese um, life, the more appreciation I have for the Spanish, the more appreciation I have for the French, and the more appreciation I have for native um, native people here in the U.S. and the love. I mean, I think the more we can accept ourselves, the more love that we can have for other people. And I think the more hate that we have and the more sort of like this distinction that we separate you know that's the north that's the south we start to hate everything else and i think that's like you know it's an unfortunate part of our but then i'm i'm starting to understand another thing too which is this i think that my brother and i talk about the politics of of the vietnamese um diaspora and everything really it's about resentment right it's about resentment those who are always harping on the old mm-hmm. flag or keeping and retaining things yeah. they're just resenting that they lost or they lost something but in actuality if they really thought about it all of their kids who left 48 years ago are now like these superstars all around Love the they're yeah. fucking superstars they're doctors lawyers filmmakers they're just badass people that have privilege that are doing major things. i'm not trying to put everybody in a monolith or a box here but A lot of us have done really big things. And a lot of us have gone to jail and spent 25 years in jail. And I get all that. But it's an opportunity that is born out of uh, unreasonable circumstances um, of war. And we should start celebrating this legacy of being Vietnamese.
0: Absolutely, because we're like really manifesting. Yes. Like over the last few years, I've been like, you know, like I was like back in the 90s, right? We're this little group and we're trying to do stuff and you're looking so hard for any. I mean, I was just thinking about like Dustin Wynn, like like 21 Jump Street. Like I would have to end rehearsal early on like what Tuesday night. I was in college and I was like, I got to get back because I got to see my brother on TV, you know, and it's like he's so hot. It's like, you know, but like that's a tiny. T- like you're always looking for like the tiny little and there was like nothing else, right? Can like we, nothing.
1: Can we pause this conversation real quick? I didn't want to do this, but I have to do this because um, because you just brought up Dustin and I want to bring up your husband. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, talk okay, about Let's talk about this. So yeah. first of all, your husband's Perry Young, right? Yep. And um, Dustin and Perry are on a show, a big show called Warriors. Um, so how did you meet Perry? I, I didn't want to do <laughs> fuck it let's do it you know cause
0: you it's, all and- it's all good no it's good it's also good because it's like those like if the warrior plugs you know like Diane is the lead in that um and Dustin has directed you know and like that's so important that like a you know people's curse but okay, yeah, um, it's funny because like Perry's doing a self tape on the other side of the wall right now. Um,
1: so everybody, just to let everybody know, uh, Mara's married to Perry Young, uh, who, if you all look him up, you will know exactly who I'm talking about. You see, <laughs> all know who I'm talking about. I didn't want to do this because you know, every time like I talk to Lan Zung, Vietan Win's wife, I try to like leave Vietan Win out of it, and it all inevitably, all right, well, we're we'll just here, we're here now, we're going to talk about how Absolutely. you met Perry. I mean- Yes, bring
0: it, bring it, bring it, bring it. Bring it because like it's a family game now, right? I just I think it's like um so he's a total weirdo and he um he's before he became, you know, like Cinemax, like before he became what I like to think of as like he's like the gangsta, like the O he's the thug dad. Right, he plays thug dads a lot, and like Tai Ma plays like nice dads, and Perry plays like the thuggy dad. And it has most, it's mostly just his face, yeah. It's the structure of his face looks like that because he's a total like sweet, he makes like bamboo shakuhachi flutes when he's not like acting stuff, right? Zen piece. Um, he was a downtown New York City performance artist, and um, I saw a show at La Mama experimental theater club which he and i have both been longtime members of their uh repertory company since the 90s he was in a show it was actually choreographed by muna sang and she had worked with a bunch of dancers from hong kong and some other like americans it was based on um, oh Tan doon did the music for that show by the way Tan doon who then went and won an oscar for crouching tiger for the soundtrack so he did the music. At the end of this show, which is based on like a pillow book, um, everybody takes all their clothes off. All the Chinese dancers, except one, like they like kind of like turn around and like they do it demur- demurely. And then there's just like one Asian dude who's like downstage center and it's just like standing there, like looking at the audience is like, so. And I was like, I think that one's American. <laughs> It's got like long curly hair. So that was Perry. Um, and I met him at an Asian-American artists like workshop thing that I attended with my friend and he was doing, it. it was called The Field. It was a collaboration with an organization called The Field and the Asian-American Arts Alliance here. And uh, we just like met like that at a workshop and he was like a total weirdo. And then um, we would run into each other at La Mama seeing shows. And then, so then we were just in the same circle where I was starting my company and he was starting his company called slant. And so we were both kind of premiering our work around the same time. And it just became like a friend circle. I had a different, like different person in the picture who I like had to like get out of the picture. And it took like a year, um, where I finally just changed the locks on the door (laughs) and then like ran into Perry and was like, I'm single. Um, So it just kind of like grew out of this like downtown. There was like a lot of Asian American activity at the time. Um, There was this thing called peeling the banana, which was coming out of the Asian American writers workshop. So it was like just this like community of folks. Um, And we went to Vietnam actually. So I was going back to Vietnam with my mom for the first time. And I went to Ellen Stewart, who was the founder of La Mama. Perry was living at La Mama. He was living in dorms above the theater. This was so bohemian. We literally called Perry the bohemian. Um, and I go to Ellen Stewart, who's um, founded La Mama. She's mama of La Mama. She's this incredible black woman. When they make her biopic, like Viola Davis should play her. Um, and I was like, I'm going back to Vietnam. And she had done this project where the national theater company and the water puppets collaborated because she made them right this black woman from america could get these like different groups together she did this in cambodia too with like the royal royal university and the circus performers she's like i don't care you know they're all like we don't talk to each other and she did this collaboration with them so i was saying like i'm going back to vietnam with my mom and i'd like to meet some artists and like can you tell me what you know give us some info and then perry's going to join me after he goes to Korea for the tour and Ellen's like okay yeah I'll give you those but she just goes like I need somebody to play Helen of Troy when Zeeshan can't in Seoul Korea you're coming and I joined the company like that like so I went toward so I went to Vietnam with my mom then I flew to Korea met up with the rest of the company and did my first shows with my mama there and then perry and i were a part of that company for just like many years kind of doing these greek tragedies that were like experimental opera all all around Mm. asia and europe um so we just like we both had our own companies we were in this company together that every summer would tour and that's kind of just like how we we did our lives until uh well pretty much until like the second kid we were, he was doing like a research fellowship in Japan and I was doing all of these projects in Vietnam and had just gotten a um, a U.S. state grant to do a specific like U.S.-Vietnam exchange and talk about like, so we brought artists from the North and artists from the South to the U.S. and connected them with like Vietnamese diasporic artists at, like on the West Coast and here. And like the Northern artists and the Southern artists, they were, they did not.
1: Oil and water.
0: Oh, they did not get along. This was like the nine, You know, I mean, maybe people have like gotten over some of that stuff, but that there was so much like aesthetic difference and just like all, like just strife. And I, I learned a lot in that moment where I was like, "You're you're naive. Like your your mm-hmm. pro vietnamese-ness is kind of naive about how complicated these legacies are." But yeah, so we're doing all of that. Perry's in in like in Japan for six months, and then we're like. You know, oh, maybe we should have a kid. And I was like, okay. And then I was like, no, 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 we can't have a kid. I have to be back in Vietnam in nine months for another residency. And I was already pregnant. And that's kind of like how it (laughs) just kind of like, then, then maybe like a year and a half, I did go back for a different residency in Hanoi and Saigon with, with like our, with one baby and I was pregnant with the other. And then that, I don't know, that was that. Then we just, you know, then I just had to like take care of the family. And then Perry went, I got the full-time job in academia and was like, okay, well, one of us has like a salary and benefits now. And so then he went back to like what he had wanted to do in the beginning, which was like film and TV acting. But by now he's like 25 years older than when he was first auditioning and the field had changed. Wow. There were so, there were parts, there were no parts for an Asian guy in the eighties and the nineties. And now like there's, there's so much content being produced. Yeah. So it's, I it just, I feel like, I mean, this is the thing. Like, I feel like I'm just here for the long game story, you know, like stuff finds its way. Yeah.
1: You know? Yeah. And then finally, full circle is you meeting probably Dustin for the first time or. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, I either like this, I'm like, so, like, <laughs> gotta be chill, you know, I'm just like, yeah, going down to because they shot Warrior in Cape Town in South Africa, just mm-hmm. like they built a whole you know Chinatown, um, and so I'm there and the kids are there and, and I I think I think he might even have like maybe he had a was it the at that time was it when he had the cast he had like a cast on his knee like he had busted up his knee and so you know I just was like I just was trying to be really chill. <laughs> And, uh, and that's, like, horrible when you're just, like, you know, you're, like, oh, it's so great to meet, you know, like, I an icon. And I'm, like, not, you know, I'm, like, no need to, like, work iconic workshop is not, like, everybody's really a person just, like, doing their doing their best and working hard, for the most part. And if they are caught up in their own hype, like, they're probably not that much fun to talk to anyway. But, I mean, he's, like, a patron saint.
1: <laughs> yeah, and he's such a down-to-earth guy when you hang out with him. Doesn't he? Right.
0: What a good person. A
1: good person. Like, like, just,
0: yeah. I mean, and so I have this dream that like ham and, and Dustin and Irene and Perry will all like end up on a project together somehow like that yeah. would just be amazing. And many other people, but just, yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, we, we covered a lot of ground today. We, we, we went everywhere <laughs> and I am so glad that we got this chance and, you know, we didn't hardly get to talk about much of the work that you do. Mm-hmm. Like I said, there's, so much questions that i have about your work but getting to see and getting a a real glimpse of who you are and what makes who you are gives us a baseline for the future and conversation for the long game and that's kind of like the the object of my work the the way i want to do it is you know in the beginning we get to meander around and we get to like really get to know the artists and we get to know the people like you and the community the Vietnamese diaspora, Vietnamese back at home and in the homeland. And we get to lay a foundation of just really the different things like your father or your sister or who you are and, you know, the, the, the the journey that you've been through. And then we can go back later or in the future and drill down on the work. But uh, I want to thank you for coming on today.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I agree. I mean, I'm just so excited that my like kin network keeps growing and it just feels like, we just get to keep doing stuff and reconnecting. Yeah. Re- so thank it's you, for, awesome. thank you so much for taking this time. Really appreciate
1: it. Of course, it. Mara, it was a, it was a pleasure for me. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Vietnamese with Kenneth Wynn. Special thanks to Brittany Tran, to Jane Wynn, Catherine Wynn, Tina Fam, Sydney Jamie, and Crystal Trinh. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at the Vietnamese Podcast.